Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will pick up our text in Genesis 24 as we continue with this topic of protecting the covenant. And we looked at the first nine verses in the previous episode, so we'll pick it up here today in verse 10. And I don't think I will take time to read all of it because we will be moving down through verse 27. So what we'll do is we'll read it as we move through this section. Starting in verse 10, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master." That gets us down through verse 14. And what we're looking at here is this second principle from the text. In verses 1 and 9, we saw that believers have the responsibility of ensuring that God's program continues to the next generation. Now we see that believers may be confident that the Lord will lead them in their faithful activities. And we have every reason to believe that this servant here has adopted the faith of his master Abraham as he calls out to the Lord in prayer. And so he is a believer as well. And he has the confidence that Abraham has instilled in him, even as he is hundreds of miles away, that the Lord will lead him as he is faithful to do what his master has charged him to do. And so we see here in these first verses, verses 10 to 14, that believers should demonstrate active faith. He's made the journey. He has taken 10 of his master's camels and departed all sorts of choice gifts from his master. No doubt he has an entourage with him. It's not just him by himself uh, to care for all of this. And he goes to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And it's worth pointing out that Mesopotamia here represents Ur, from which Abraham was called out of as God appeared to him. So we're talking about modern-day Iraq, most likely. And we had that discussion back when we first were introduced to Abraham as Abram. And so we can go back and have that discussion. Some people place it potentially as Turkey, but there's general agreement that it's probably modern day Iraq. Now, one thing that's worth noting here is that as believers demonstrate an active faith in verse 10, he left. He actually left. You can be all talk and no action, and that doesn't produce anything. In fact, Jesus gave us such a parable in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. We call it the parable of the two sons, where he says, you know, father had two sons and he said, go and do this. And 
One of the sons said, I will, and he didn't. And the other said, I won't go and do that. But he changed his mind later and did. And then he asks, which of these do you suppose did the will of the father? And the scribes and the Pharisees said it was the second one, uh, the one who said, I won't, but went ahead and did. And that's the point. Uh, There has to be some action. So obviously he's tasked with this and there's no one supervising him. He's the one who's in charge. He's in a position of leadership. There's all sorts of things that we could derive from this. But the fact is, is Abraham trusted him. Abraham tasked him. Abraham had him take an oath, a very serious pledge, a solemn oath uh, by placing his hand under his thigh, as we discussed last time. And all of that plays into this. And so uh, he demonstrates an active faith by first of all, leaving in verse 10. And he travels to the place where he was instructed. And then he's just going about his normal business. After a long journey, verse 11, he makes the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Nothing spectacular there. But then in verses 12 to 14, we see this. He prayed. He prayed. So rather than getting into the nitty gritty of all this and recognizing also that we live in a different time, when, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not asking God for signs. We're not laying out our fleece like Gideon did. Uh, we're not doing those things. We're, we're at a different time. We're in a dis- different dispensation now. In these last days, God has spoken to us through Jesus, his son. Uh, we don't need a sign from heaven. We don't need to have a, a cloud shaped in, uh, you know, like some sort of object or something like that to, to have divine confirmation of a decision that we're about to make. I mean, you know, but in this case, there's prayer. Everything that we read in verses 12 to 14 is is prayer. And he addresses, O Lord, the covenant name, the Tetragrammaton, the covenant name of God here, O Lord, God of my master Abraham. He's working under that authority, and he's gone under this authority as well. Seems to be that this servant, as we mentioned earlier, has this same type of faith. Please grant me success recognizing, you know, he believes this. This isn't just some perfunctory thing. If he didn't believe in God, he wouldn't have asked God. He wouldn't have called out to him in prayer. He would not have used uh, humble language like this. I just want to point out that people who mock God, and uh, I mean, why would anybody pray to God in a mocking manner, number one? <laughs> but, you know, people who mock the Lord, if they were going to pray to him, would not be so humble they would not be asking uh, in, in humility that one who is more powerful than them would grant them success. I mean, th- these words here, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham, not just about him, but to his master. This is showing humility. This is showing uh, you know, authority in the proper place that he recognizes God's sovereignty, God's rule, God's authority over all things, that God has the ability to do this. It's absolutely incredible what we see in this. Prayer is woven into the fabric of Old Testament life for those who are part of the covenant. And the fact is, is we have now been brought into God's family through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we now have access to the throne room of heaven. We have bold access because of the blood of Christ. And we're even told that in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us come boldly. And so the question is, is how does prayer factor into your life? Is it a regular part of your life? It should be. 
And I think that we can all do more to improve on our prayer life. But you get up and do, you do, uh, you don't just talk, You there comes a time of action. But everything that we do must be bathed in prayer. And we see this. I mean, he's taken this long trip. He could devise some cunning way to try and hoodwink somebody or whatnot, but he recognizes the solemn nature of his task, and he calls out to God. We should always be ones who call out to God. And so he lays it all out here. It is sort of a test, if you will, not quite to the extent that Gideon had, but he lays it out very specifically in his own mind. Let the the woman, the young woman, to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one, because that would have been above and beyond. It's one thing to get somebody a drink, but to water all of this livestock here, 10 camels, uh, that's quite a feat. In addition to the chores that she would have to do to fetch her own water, there's a lot attendant with that. And so we, we have to appreciate it for what it is. And all of this is to say that this servant is demonstrating active faith. Now, as we continue on, starting in verse 15, we see this, that God will often lead in unseen ways. God will often lead in unseen ways. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So we see that God often leads in unseen ways. Too often we are looking for a mystical revelation. And when read from a simple historical perspective, one could naively think that everything that was was going on as usual in this particular instance. I mean, it's normal for for uh, the women in that culture to come and draw water as the evening is approaching to, to have the water that they need for the, the night, for the evening meal, for everything that they need to get through to the next morning. And, and yet God works in the midst of this in what we might call the mundane, the normal everyday activities. Now, there's one aspect of this activity that's not normal, and that's the whole idea that she would offer of her own free volition without being asked to water his livestock with all that she has to do. And so he has made this prayer. We've seen the prayer, but we're seeing the answer to prayer. And I I trust that you can see that happening in the text. We're seeing the answer to prayer. But if you step back and you remove, I I say that that you can't remove God from the picture. But if you were to try and look at this and, and the actual just events without the knowledge of the prayer, and you're just looking at the activities of the day, you might be tempted to think that this is just normal and just coincidental. But God moves in unseen and mysterious ways, and we ought to be able to appreciate that. 
And, and we ought to be seeing that. That's why at our church, we, we solicit the works of God uh, testimonies in our church. We ask people how they've seen answers to prayer, not just in big ways, but in small ways. What things are you praying for? What things can we join you in prayer for? And how have you seen the Lord working? And sometimes it's in small ways. Sometimes it's in big ways. Sometimes it's a not yet. Uh, and, and there's weight and all of those other things. But God will sometimes lead uh, in unseen ways and answer in the mundane as well. But that should leave us then to consider this. Let's read verses 22 down through verse 27. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have both plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. So we'll stop right there and note this, that believers should acknowledge the works of God appropriately. As he is marveling and considering that this is the answer to the prayer that he has just made while he was still speaking. Notice how quickly that happened. In verse 15, it says, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, right? So it happens very quickly. And now as he's pondering this thing and he's watching it all unfold, he recognizes that this is indeed an answer to his prayer. Well, what do you do when God answers prayer? Well, you should respond appropriately. You don't just go away. I mean, again, there are parables in the New Testament. I mean, about the ones who are healed. And at one time, Jesus healed many lepers and only one came back and thanked him. And, and remember that. I mean, when God does works in our life, we should acknowledge them. We should be quick to acknowledge. And that's what he does here. I mean, we have the, the formal, the, the gifting of the things that he had brought, uh, the gold ring and the bracelets, and he puts them on her, then he finds out, you know, who she is and praises the Lord that, that he has found the right one and led, led him by his providence to the house of the kinsmen of Abraham. All of that. So what does it say then specifically? The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And how does he worship? By the things that he says. The confession is true. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. This is indeed a proper response to the works of God. And when we worship, we worship by how we conduct our lives. We worship by how we respond. We worship in how we pray, the things that we say to others about the Lord. I fear in today's culture, this, this term worship has been hijacked. I'll use that strong term there. It has been hijacked by mainstream evangelicalism to simply denote singing. I don't think that this servant of Abraham broke out in song here. Uh, that's not the point. 
And we have done ourselves a disservice to think of worship as singing. People talk about what's your worship like at church and what's your worship service and your worship style and and all that they mean there is music. We don't see any music here. Worship is how we react to God. Worship is how we respond to the works of God. Worship is how we respond to the, the words of God. So we have his works in answered prayer, the words of God, which is the Bible, his revelation. Uh, this, how we respond and how we act is our worship. And our lives are to be ones of, you know, being a living sacrifice, as we're told in uh, Romans chapter 12, which is our spiritual service of worship. So we see this, we're told that he worships, and then we're given a little bit of insight as to how he does it. It's in the words that he says, in his posture. And so I want us to recognize that. Believers indeed may be confident that the Lord will lead them in their faithful activities. We should have an active faith that should be demonstrated through our actions and through prayer. Uh, But also we see that God will sometimes lead by answering in unusual ways and sometimes in the unseen or maybe even mundane ways. But then when he does answer, and we should always be looking for the hand of God in our lives, then believers should acknowledge the works of God appropriately which is to speak the truth of God, to acknowledge his role in everything, and uh, to affirm what we know about him in the word of God to be true. That is worship. Well, that's all we have time for today. We will pick it up in verse 28 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website, at gfbc.net.